1994, a man named Alvin Strait, like a straight line, Alvin Strait found out that his brother Lloyd had had a stroke. Uh, Lloyd and he were estranged. They haven't, hadn't spoken in many years. And they lived pretty far apart. Uh, Alvin lived in Iowa. Lloyd lived in Wisconsin. They were about 240 miles apart. And Alvin couldn't drive to go see his brother because his eyesight was so bad they wouldn't give him a driver's license. So he did what any of us would do. He got on his, lawn, uh, his John Deere lawnmower, and at the speed of five miles per hour, he hauled a wagon. The wagon had his food and his tent and his sleeping bag and just other things you need for a 240-mile drive at five miles an hour. And, uh, and he took off. And it was, a, it was a dangerous trip. He met up with, uh, you know, bike gangs. It was uh, a wonderful trip. He met up with a, a young lady who was running away from home and, and talked to her about the importance of family. It was, uh, he ra had wrecks. His, his tractor shot down. Truck, uh, his lawnmower uh, broke down at one point, And uh, he shot it with a shotgun. I'm not sure how that helped. But, um, but he made it. And, the, and, and they made a movie about it. David Lynch made a movie about it. Uh, and the question that drives the movie is, why are you doing that? He gets offered rides several times. It's very dangerous to cross the Mississippi River uh, or rivers on uh, a tractor. Um, why are you doing that? And at the end of the movie, he drives into his brother's driveway, and his brother, who's an old man, walks out, and he looks at the tractor. And he said, Alvin, did you drive that all this way just to see me? And Alvin said, yep. And they sat down on the porch, and they both wept. Alvin was communicating his love to his brother in a way that his brother would understand. A phone call wouldn't do it. Having someone else bring him wouldn't do it. A hug wouldn't do it. He was communi communicating his love for his brother in a way that he would understand. Uh, the final question that I was asked over that dinner with my nieces, they, they, they kept asking me, is the God of the Old Testament good? And they asked it five, six different ways. If he's good, then, then why is life so painful? If he's good, why did he give us all these laws? If he's good, why would he create hell? If he was good, why did Jesus have to die? And that is the question. If God is good, why was the crucifixion necessary? And the answer that the Bible gives, there's a lot of answers, but the answer the Bible ultimately gives is that Jesus, that God through the death of Christ is revealing, is manifesting his love for us in a way that we can understand. Please stand as we read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, 
That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Thus far, the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. The cross was necessary because it was the revelation of God's love for us in a way that we could understand. Uh, the first you kind of have to work to get to the depth of this. And the first kind of answer to the question, I guess, if you were to say, okay, why was the cross necessary? The answer is because of the nature of sin. Sin, we tend to think of it as, you know, those things that it's fun to do on Friday and confess on Sunday. Sin is, you know, the stuff that the older generation that was all buttoned up and conservative, they don't want the younger generation to do. Sin is, you know, it's the amusement park that's got the barbed wire fence around it. And God wants to communicate to us that sin is death. Sin is death. And so on the cross, he displays that to us. On the cross, we see its nature. On the cross, we see its design. We see what sin does. Uh, if you've ever read or heard of the book, The Life of Pi, it's, most, it's probably the best book that's ever written about a tiger on a life raft. Um, and uh, it's about a boy, I don't know, it's a, there's a lot of debate about what it's about. But in the story, the boy grows up in a zoo. And his, he grows up around the zoo animals, and there's always this temptation that he's going to kind of make friends with the animals. And the most dangerous animal in the zoo is the tiger. And so his, his dad, when he's five years old, his dad brings him behind the scenes uh, into the tiger's cage. And his mom is just saying, do we have to do this? Do we have to do this? And when they get in there, they see a tiger that hasn't been fed in two days. And he's grouchy just like you would be. And he's growling. And a door opens, and a little lamb walks out. And before the boy even has time to realize what's about to happen, the tiger pounces on it, rips its throat out, and eats it. And the dad says to him, I want you to never forget what you've seen here today. It is a wild and vicious animal. And that's, that's what the cross does for us. It opens our eyes to the nature of sin, that, that it leads to death. And if we don't believe that, if we want to kind of rationalize our way out of it and talk about how, well, I'd had a hard week and, and I was tired and it's not that dangerous, God always beckons us to look back at the cross and see its true nature. The only perfect man ever to walk the earth, the beloved Son of God, when he became sin for us, stretched out, beaten, bleeding to death, being smothered by the weight of his own body, being abandoned by God. That's the true nature of sin. And I know the question. The question is, but why? Why does it have to be that way? Why is it such a big deal? 
And there's, there's two answers to that. One is, um, and this is just true of every law, really every act, right? The, the evil of an act is based not on what you do, but upon who you do it to. You know that, right? You shoot a gun in the air, that was loud and annoying. Reckless discharge of a weapon, maybe, probably not. Shoot a, shoot a gun at my dog, I would thank you. Shoot a, dog, shoot a gun at a person, it's a bigger deal, you're going to jail for that. Shoot a gun at, let's pretend she's still alive because it's a good example. Shoot a gun at the Queen of England, now you're doing national treason. Now you're, you're sinning against an entire nation. Shoot a gun at the Queen of e England when she's your mother? who has loved you and, pretend they did, loved you and nurtured you your entire life, now it's just disgusting. It's, it's a vile sin against the very nature of love against an entire nation. That's what sinning against God is. He's the Lord who loves you. And to reject that love and to result, to, to live a life of rebellion in the face of that is... It's betrayal, it's treasonous, it's, it's sinning against the one who loves you. But why? Why does it have to bring death? Why does sin bring death? Why does Hebrews say without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins? Well, again, go back to the nature of what sin is. Or go back to the nature of who God is. God is the very source of life. He is the light, and the light is the life of men. He is the vine, we're the branches. To, to cut yourself off from the vine is to die. It doesn't matter. You're, the only reason you look alive is because you're not smart enough to realize you're dead yet. Um, okay, I grew up in the country. That's obvious. And uh, my great-grandmother lived. I could see her house from my house. That's the way my mom was. That's why moving was the uh, unpardonable sin. And uh, I, I, my great-grandmother, she was just the last of a breed, right? I mean, she was tough. She was 80 before I was born. I never knew her as a young woman. She had perfectly white cotton hair. She had a big um, chaw of chewing tobacco in her cheek every single time I saw her. She would spit it. She was always either spitting it off the porch or into the fireplace, depending on the season. We buried her with a five-pound bag of tobacco. Um, she was tough. At, at over 80, she, I know because that's how old she was when I was born. I saw her crack pecans in her hand. She would just take two, smash them, and start eating with no teeth. That's a tough woman. And, uh, and she raised chickens. Now, <laughs> you know, I, I left the country because I didn't have the stomach for it. You know, I buy chicken meat the way God intended, wrapped in plastic, cleaned, and already cut up. Um, and it's always funny to me when I look at chicken in the store and see the phrase farm-raised. For those of you who've never seen a farm and you think that means clean. Okay, let me tell you how my great-grandmother killed chickens. If you had the bad luck of being born a fryer and not a layer, and I never figured that out, she would come out on killing day, and she'd start plucking them. She plucked them alive. 
I don't know why. She plucked them alive, so you have these chickens who've been embarrassed, right? Just running around with no clothes on. They're naked, and, and then she started just grabbing them, and she grabbed them and put those two fingers around their neck and go, bam, and throw them to the ground. And the chicken's head would still be in her hand, and the chicken would be on the ground. And the chicken, the chicken's body would pop up. Sometimes they would kick, but a lot of times they jumped up on their feet and started running around with no feathers and no head. Now, those chickens were dead. They were just too dumb to know they were dead. Without a brain, how could they? And it took them a while to run out. And that's basically the state that we are all in. Until you are reunited to Christ, until you are reunited to life, you are dead. And you just don't know it. You're dead and you just don't know it. You're dead in your sin. That's how the Bible describes us. We're not, we're not sick. We're not in a hospital. We're not drowning. We are dead. We are lying in a morgue, naked and dead, unable to save ourselves, unable to understand the message of the gospel, unable to respond, unable to see God as anything but uh, a joke or a legend or a, a tyrant, Unable to see any of that until the Holy Spirit comes in, opens up the drawer, and wakes us up. And he wakes us up out of our love, and the first thing we notice is, I'm naked. And he dresses us, and then we run out of the morgue because it smells bad. Death, sin, is separation from God. It's not that it's death because he hates us so much. It's death because he is life. And if you're separated from the head, you, the body will die. But God can do anything. Why doesn't he just ignore sin? I mean, come on. Sometimes we do that, right? Because people sin against us, and we're like, well, what's the big deal? We'll just forget it. Why does he have to be just? Why does he have to punish sin with justice? Great question. Thanks for asking. The reason why you can just choose to not be just, you know what I mean when I say just? Uh, you know, speaking in a legal sense of the word. The reason why you can choose that is because justice is outside of you. It is a standard that you can live by or not. 100% choice. But God is the standard. He is the source that we get our sense of justice from. You're born with a sense of justice. I mean, you don't believe that. Go to a two-year-old child and steal his toy and just watch him cry and, and, and spank him for something you don't spank his brother for. And they're going to say, that's not fair! You're born with a sense of justice. But it's, out, it's still outside of you. It is something that God has put there, and it's something that you can choose to ignore or live by. God is the sense he is the ruler. He's the straight edge. I had a professor in seminary named Dr. Long. Uh, Caleb Long up in North Tulsa is his grandson. And Dr. Long spent his life as a missionary, first in Africa and then in Brazil. And while he was in Brazil, these church groups would always want to come and, and do something, you know, do a, do a short-term missions project. And so he decided that he would let them help him build churches. He built like 20 churches over his career. And uh, so these mission groups would come in, and they would build a wall. They would build the first wall of the church. 
And they would have a big party on Friday and leave on Saturday. And then on Monday, uh, he and his con contractor, construction guy, would get up and they would, they would hang a plumb line. You know, a plumb line is a piece of string with a weight at the bottom. And they would put that line right against the wall at the top, and by the time it got to the bottom, it would be hanging out this far. The wall wasn't straight. But that's okay, because he didn't give them real cement. And they would just take the wall down, clean it off, <laughs> and start building a straight wall. Can't do anything with a wall that's eight, eight inches out of plumb. And you see, we are the wall. We have the choice of living according to the law or not. But God is the line. He's the plumb line. To ask God why he has to be just is asking light why they can't be dark. It's asking heat why it can't be cold. It, that's what it is. That's who he is. And he can't just decide to be who he's not. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and uh, I think it was uh, Miles Zellner, I think, asked why, he, uh, why God couldn't, you know, couldn't do something, couldn't build a rock so big. Or, oh, that's what it was. Can't build someone who's strong enough to beat himself up. And uh, I said there's actually a lot of things that God can't do, and that's where our comfort is. God can't go back on his promises. That's good news for us. God can't stop loving us because he is love. That's good news for us. The things that God can't do, and God can't ignore sin. That's the first two reasons why the cross is necessary is because of the nature of sin and because of the nature of God. I know your question, though. Why? Why does that require death? I mean, he couldn't he have just made sin different? Couldn't he have just fixed it? Why did Jesus have to die? And ultimately the answer to that is he had to die to be, to be where we are. We were in, are imprisoned. In this world that we actually live in, we are imprisoned by death. You're all going there. You're all going there. I was um, getting stretched out a few weeks ago and the, the girl stretching me out she and I were talking, and, and one of her friends had died uh, suddenly, and it was the first time she'd ever experienced death, the first close friend of hers who'd ever died. And I said, are you, are you doing okay with it? She said, no. I'm so proud of her. She's honest. I mean, I'm never going to get to see her again. And you can just kind of see that shadow creeping in on this 25-year-old girl who's never really experienced it. And we're all under it. And we're all going to end up in that, that wooden prison. And Jesus came into the prison for us because that's where we are. And he blew the back wall out so that we could get out of that prison. There's a great story about the Apostle Paul, I mean the Apostle John. I couldn't find that. I looked it up for you this morning. Uh, it, and it was about him being uh, kidnapped. But unfortunately, there's a televangelist who's named himself the Apostle John. And uh, so if you look up the Apostle John now, all you see is stories about him, and that's not who I wanted. Uh, but John would go around visiting city to city and plant churches. And uh, in one of these churches, he uh, began preaching the gospel and teaching and, and loving this boy with, uh, with no parents. He'd grown up an orphan. He was, he was rebellious by nature. But the boy uh, 
you know, he, he was melted by the gospel and melted by the love of the Apostle John and became a Christian. And then he would go, you know, John went on and left him there as, as an apprentice to the pastor and, and um, to, to help in, with the church. And he left. And he came back, you know, it was a year later. They didn't travel real fast back then. And when he came back, the boy was gone. And he asked the pastor, where, where is he? And he said, well, he, he turned back to his life of crime. He's back up in the mountains. He's actually the leader of the, of the gang now. So John went off, and, and when people saw the direction he was going, they, they warned him, like, this isn't safe. And he said, I, I'm, I'm very aware of that. And he, he went off by himself on a horse until the, you know, until the highwaymen that lived in that region came and kidnapped him. And he said, I won't fight you. Just take me to your leader. And he went up and he saw the boy, and the boy saw him. His tears welled up in his eyes, and he ran. He started to run away, and John just called out, It's your father. I'm your father. Don't run from me. This was the only way I could find you. And I'm, I'm not worried about these, bond, these bindings that you've put me in, but aren't you still bound with the bindings of love? Won't you come back? That's what Jesus was doing for us. The Son of God became man, and he allowed death to kidnap him so that he could come to where we are, and so he could defeat it, so he could destroy the grave from the inside. Still doesn't answer the question, does it? Because we all know that God invented the game. Why did he make these the rules? Why did he make these rules so that we were able to sin, so that we were able to turn our backs on him, so that we were able to, to become sick to death with this thing called sin? Why did he set these rules so that he would have to become man and, and suffer such horrible pains and die just for us? Why, if God's so good, as you've been saying for the last month, why did he make the world like that? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. Because he wanted to communicate his love in a way that we would understand. He wanted to communicate his love in a way that we would understand. Revelation, uh, Romans 5, the, the, for, the assurance of forgiveness. What does it say? God shows his love for us God manifests his love for us. God shows us how much he loves us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ and seated us in heavenly places. Why? So that he might reveal the deep kindness to us by his grace. First John 1, uh, I picked that, put that one in the bulletin. It's so good. This is the love of God that was made manifest, that you could see, that you could feel, that was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the sacrifice for our sins. 
He wanted us to see it. Don't you, you know that feeling? Gosh, you know that feeling, I bet. If you've ever loved anybody, right? I mean, gosh, I guess the last 15 years of my mom's life, every time she came to visit, it was just a disaster because I'm a control freak, and I had four kids. That's a lot to control. And she would come, and, and she was a, the disruption, whether I was in her house or she was in mine, it was always a disruption, and I always had to become just this tyrant, not on purpose, just to keep control of things. And every time I was driving her home, every time I was driving her home, I would just feel this overwhelming sense of disappointment because I loved her so much and I treated her so badly and I wanted to just rip my chest open and say, do you see it? Can you see how much I love you? Now my kids are all gone. I miss them so bad. I don't miss the ones that actually exist. I miss the 10 and 11-year-old cute ones. And every time they come home, I say, do you need to go to Costco? Can you, do you need to, to go anywhere? Is there anything I can pop? I'll text them and I'll keep asking them stupid questions just to keep them on the line because I want them to see it. I want them to see how much I love them. And they don't need me anymore, and I hate that. And I just want to show them. Don't you know that feeling? God wanted us to know it. He wanted us to feel it. It's why young boys spend way too much money on an engagement ring just to say, look, do you see it? Can you see it? Do you see how much I love you? That's what God was communicating to us on the cross in a way that we could understand. That's how much he loves you. One of the first kind of our most famous escape artist was named uh, Harry Houdini. You've heard, all heard of him. He's really more of a marketer than he was of anything. An incredible showman. He wasn't magic. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things that's not really well known about him was um, throughout his marriage, he would leave notes for his wife everywhere. And uh, he would leave them in her shoes. He would leave them in drawers. He would leave them in you know, leave them in the Christmas decorations so she'd find them the next year. She'd leave them. He would leave them everywhere. So one note, little note. They all said the same thing. And the legend is it was years after he had died, she was still finding these notes. You'll never know how much I love you. You'll never know how much I love you. And, and what God is beckoning for us is to say, Whenever you see the cross, just remember, you'll never know how much I love you. Please pray with me. Father, your love for us is too great to understand. It's too great to comprehend. But in the very effort to understand it, our hearts are stretched and we are made into better people. And Father, we receive your gift and we pray that you would give us the courage to look over into that 
crevice and just peer into the depths of how much you love us. And I pray for those who've just never received that gift. They just didn't think they needed it or didn't think it was real. I pray that you'd open their eyes to the truth of it and open their hearts to the need for it. And I pray they would receive it today. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.